Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of HashMap on Tap. I am your host, Randy Pitcher. Today, our special guest is Paul Hardman, Global Head of Analytics at Arlo. Paul is a fully qualified chartered accountant with 16 years of post-qualification experience, 12 of these years in industry, and was certified as a project management professional by the Project Management Institute. Paul has also worked in previous roles at Netgear, PwC, and KPMG. Paul, welcome to the program. What are you drinking today? Thanks for having me. Um, yep, today I am drinking uh, Bullet Bourbon, uh, a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Uh, and I I, uh, I don't necessarily always drink it straight. Um, okay. Maybe that for a Friday, but uh, tonight we're going with uh, a little Coca-Cola. Now, are you a, a bourbon fan? It's funny since um, I'm not I'm not a massive drinker anyway. Yeah. Um, I tend you know tend to stick to beers and whatever. But since um, since this uh, this uh, current COVID situation um, has uh, has changed the way everything kind of works, I, I I'd say probably in the last maybe two years I've went through maybe one bottle of whiskey in two years and okay. I've done two in three months. Oh wow! Okay. So that's, yeah, that's where we are. I. Uh... I'm not normally a, a big drinker, but I've been going through a lot of diversity of drinks since doing the podcast. Cool. Yeah. And so today you get to see a lot of people's what people are interested in, right? Yeah. And there's like just a whole world I'm not even like into. And it's not even just alcohol because uh, that's how we started. We were going to do mostly beer. But mm. then uh, we started having to schedule in the mornings for people and we didn't <laughs> want to yeah. get drunk. So um, <laughs> we, like, we started doing coffees and that the diversity of the kinds of coffees people do and the, like the ways they make them way blows away some of the alcohol. Oh, there's a, there's a whole world of it out there. I, I don't drink coffee. I, I don't like it at all. But really, um, no, not at all. Are you I'm, like a tea drinker? Like any caffeine? Uh, and caffeine, absolutely. Yeah, okay. big fan of caffeine. <laughs> uh, but uh, but not hot drinks. I just don't. I can't. Um, I can't abide hot drinks at all. Not okay. Even hot, if I'm desperate, a hot chocolate. But um, okay. tea and coffee never never quite understood that. I think that may have been something probably from my parents like they'd come in after a, a boiling hot day mm-hmm. and i just want to soak my head in a bucket of cold water and they're like oh let's have a nice cup of tea like, <laughs> no, no 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 too hot okay <laughs> well then, well so today i'm drinking um seagram's gin nothing fancy but it's uh reliable and okay. perrier just a little gin and soda um i'm not a whiskey or a bourbon like i really don't know the differences between those but i've i've had them they're always just the two they burn too much is what it is. Gin is bitter, but it doesn't burn the same way. Mm. Yeah. Some whiskeys can, can obviously drink them straight there. They will burn a little, a little bit. Um, I've quite sweet tooth anyway. So I like, you know, like sweeter things like r- real Coca-Cola, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, some of the sweeter bourbons I like, I'm not a huge fan of the very peaty kind of flavors, but I'm in no way a connoisseur okay. with, in any way, shape or form. <laughs> they try something like, Oh, you quite like that. I'll pick up a bottle of that next time in the supermarket or whatever. But, yeah. By no way any connoisseur of these things. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, Paul, something that was interesting to me, we talk about Arlo, where you work, being a tech company, right? Hardware kind of software company. But in your intro here and looking into your background, you have an accounting background. I have. And, and then you moved over to data analytics. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? I think that's interesting. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, um, going back to when I was at, at, at college, um, I, I did maths at the University of Warwick in the UK. Um, interested in the stats and the computing kind of modules. It was a modular course and you you had to do your the certain parts and then you could sort of choose your own 
um, add-ons. Sure. So I, I did a few stats ones, a few computing ones. It was interesting, the stats stuff. I never really deep dived into it too deeply um, at that time and, and uh, stuck with the, the maths, the pure maths, um, for a lot of what I did at college. Then I moved, um, obviously, college finished. So I, I started work with KPMG. I was lucky enough to get a job with, with KPMG, one of the big four audit firms. Um, as an auditor, trained with them, qualified as a ACA, um, a chartered accountant, um, which is what we call it in the UK, in the U, in the uh, US, and a lot of other places, a CPA. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, when I was working with KPMG, had lots of lots of opportunities to um, to work with clients, um, anything from healthcare to um, the motor trade, to you know car dealerships and that kind of thing. So. All in, all very interesting stuff. Um, then I moved to Ireland, which is where I currently live, in uh, 2004, and joined PwC as an audit manager, sort of exactly the same as I was doing before, just with a different badge. Sure. Uh, <laughs> working with uh, different multinational com uh, companies and um, indigenous business, local business, to Cork in Ireland, which is where I am now. And then... Um, and then that gear opportunity came up in 2007 to move out of um, out of the audit world and into the the real world of finance, I suppose, uh -huh. um, and joined them as a financial accountant. Okay, uh, that was yeah 2007, um, part of a you know small but perfectly formed accounting team. Um, and as the, as the Netgear business grew, particularly internationally, you know, um, my responsibilities grew with them. And I ended up um, looking after the accounts payable team for international. So we looked after all of the accounts payable for worldwide um, and Europe and, and that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, team team of about five people over different times. And I started getting my fingers into IT at that stage. Um, we mostly sort of been in my own time, bit of company time, sort of building simple web apps, all internal stuff. And I'm sure if I went back and looked at it now, I'd be fairly embarrassed about what was there's nothing fancy about it there's some simple php and html web pages but okay. um it was it was stuff that that would never been done in the finance kind of realm before um for us so all all simple stuff and that kind of i suppose that um that got me in in well, it got me in hot water on occasion with the IT team. Okay, that happens. <laughs> that which you know, this, all good things start with with things like that. Um, so yeah, and and after a few years of, of doing that and uh, getting under people's shoes and <laughs> being being a bit of a troublemaker, um, I started. Um, we we kind of decided we needed a sales operations team um, to manage our um, third party sales reporting vendor. So still on, still within finance, um, but slightly more on the IT side, working with with this vendor who who um, looks after all of our, well, looks after all of Netgear's um, sales reporting. Sure. Um, spent that time improving processes with them. Um, kind of, it was, it was like a process improvement sort of thing, and that's where I I did the um, project management training as well mm. at that time. And then after after a couple of years of doing that, um, we kind of that kind of team got moved into business intelligence um, officially under IT this time, mm -hmm. um, and it was that time I got involved with Tableau. Um, so we set up the Tableau server environment within within Netgear at that time, um, 
and then uh, yeah a couple of years after that arlo came up and then i moved across to arlo to do the same but a bit more okay so these days are you doing any more finance work or is it basically all tech it's basically all tech now yeah um I suppose the, the interesting thing is coming from a finance background or having a finance background, it gives you a bit of a different perspective into some of these things. Sure. Um, and it, it's, it's just, it's another string to, it's another string to play from, I suppose. It's just another, another element I can draw on sometimes when looking at different things and it just allows you to have a bit of a, 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 biz, a more rounded business perspective as opposed to just the straight down the, the tech road. So that that transition, did you find that to be more difficult than you thought, easier than you thought it would be, or, or anything surprising in that course? Because I imagine it wasn't plan A was get a job, become a tech kind of person. Yeah, no, it wasn't. That was never the plan. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not a big person for making a five-year plan kind of anyway. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, I, I don't – sometimes I do I do have a bit. I have a bit of a notion of kind of where I want to go or whatever. Sure. Um, and the same for kind of work projects and whatever. Um, but I, I also tend to just let, let things kind of go where they're going to go okay. to a certain extent. Um, but I, I do like to make a plan as well. Okay. So there's, a, there's an element of it, a nice balance, I think. But yeah, um, no, I, I never set out, well, certainly I didn't set out when I was with, with KPMG or PwC to, you know, to go into the tech world. I never had any dreams of it. Yeah. Um, but it just felt like, while I was at Netgear, there was opportunities came up, um, and Netgear is very much like Arlo. Um, you know, there's lots of opportunities to do things that aren't necessarily your job. The yeah. the, the box that says this is what your job description is, sort of thing. Yeah. There's lots of opportunities to do other things like that, and that's that's what has been great about Netgear and what is great about Arlo. Um, so yeah, it just I suppose. I'm always naturally interested in, in computers and technology anyway. That's my okay. thing I do outside of work. Um, so it just, it felt natural to me to be able to do that kind of stuff in work as well. And, you know, happy to, a lot of it just personal interest projects. You know, I wanted to try and figure out how to write a simple web server and do some cunning stuff with databases and PHP. Sure. So, yeah, why not use some some work data that I understand and it makes sense to somebody. So yeah. you no, know, I think that's that's something that's overlooked for uh, learning in general, especially careers that have been built around lots of learning, lots of transformation. Is working on real problems is for me mm -hmm. personally the only way to make any of it stick because as soon yeah. as Hello World's done, I forgot how I did it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there's only so much you can do with you know you have you get sample data or some sort of made up data set that. You, you know, you can, yes, you, okay, after a while, you probably would get familiar with it or whatever, but when it's the thing you have to forget about and then go to work for seven or eight hours and sit down and look at all that time anyway, sure, why not, if your company will let you do it, why not use it to further your own, further your own development as well as yeah, do something back for the company? So. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So speaking of, you know, your work, uh, we spoke earlier, said you're the senior director of analytics at Arlo. Can you tell me what you do? And maybe for folks that are in or, or don't know yet, what does Arlo do? What does Arlo do? Yes. Yeah, so Arlo makes um, wireless, uh, the primary business is wireless um, security cameras. So for home and kind of small business use, um, these are the, I I have to say, because not because I work there, because I think they really are. I think they're brilliant. Yeah. Um, 
Arlo started kind of maybe 2014 with um, kind of the world's first commercially available um, 100% wire-free camera system. So it's really great for if you, you don't want to go drilling holes through your house to run cables or you can't because it's a rented property or it just doesn't make sense to, to do so because you want to put it you know somewhere further out or whatever. Um, the, and these cameras, they are really cool. They start the the first ones that we were out in 2014, 2015 time were, you know, 720p, night vision, night vision, always been weather resistant. Uh, I think it's IP65 or something like that. And then, you know, over time, we've developed new stuff, developed better technologies. And now the cameras are 4K, um, color night vision. The latest one that just got released has a 2000 lumen floodlight. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that's really good um yeah and it's it's just a really interesting product line yeah um, i i have been an arlo customer since probably 2015 uh, back in college so we we were in a rental and we wanted to get i've always been kind of a paranoid guy like really 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 paranoid <laughs> um and just the smallest sounds at night always got me up so we we ended up getting uh the wireless cameras from best buy I just picked up a pair or two and uh, there's a 720p, the night vision, and they were super easy because you just I put a nail in the wall and, mm, and that's it. they're able to with the magnet right um, to mount. And I had the front door and the back door, and it changed I mean everything for me. From then on, I've been smart home cameras, everything I can watch all of it. And now we have now that we have a child, uh, we have the, the the kids camera, the one that's oh, yeah. shaped like a bunny. Yeah, she cool, loved it. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, they're cool products. You're right. And like when we go camping or something, we can take these. Uh, with us and you can run the local network on a generator and you can like work on these cameras um it's never been that useful but uh it's just cool that they're portable it's just yeah you just know that it's there there's this there it's a bit of extra safety and whatever yeah 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 no it's a it's a it's a fantastic product and it's really interesting just the way that it's grown over time um and the extra things that have been being added all the time and you know with the the new um Arlo smart which is the um sort of ai powered um computer vision stuff um which allows you to tell whether it's a, a package or a person or an animal or a vehicle that kind of thing yeah. it's just it's just really interesting it's really interesting technology for me it's really good and, and can you tell me more about your role at arlo yeah um so it's after the 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 spin-off from netgear in 2018 you know um arlo has kind of grown on its own since then um my, my team is spread across the globe um i have some people working here in cork in ireland um i have a team in, in california which is where the the head office the arlo's head office is, is san jose in silicon valley um and i team in india as well so we kind of cover the cover the clock almost okay. um and you know um my team is responsible for our, our entire big data environment um and we're, you know, looking at a strategy to move that to the cloud and, you know, okay. how that works and how that might happen over the next while. Um, we also look after operational reporting. So that's your your standard kind of data warehouse, um, relational database kind of stuff. It's 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 relatively straightforward and it's relatively unexciting, but it's the it's critical to our business it's critical for products to get shipped and you know quarters to get closed and all that kind of stuff so it, it you know it's 
it's important even though it's perhaps not as you know not as exciting as some of the other parts of it and yeah. then that that sales reporting that i talked about a while ago um i still look after that um so that's again it's business critical it's it's how our sales teams look at where the business is where the market is all that kind of stuff so yeah so it's um it's a wide-ranging role um and there's there's just always something interesting going on okay i mean it sounds like arlo is a really varied place i like that you mentioned mm. that you have the opportunity to work on things that aren't like strictly within only your job and i think companies that are like that are often a little more innovative and they're more fun to work at yeah absolutely yeah. No, it's, it's a really fun place to work at. It's a really, it's really interesting. It's, I suppose if you were to take, as I said, the, the exact, what your job description might be, you wouldn't necessarily see half of the things that you do. And I'm, as I said, I'm a bit of a nerd, like to yeah. look at these things anyway. You know, I get into conversations with, with product engineering people that would be nothing to do with anything that I'm supposed to have anything to do with, <laughs> but it's just interesting to know how these things work. So, and, and, yeah. Are you finding that it, it's pretty easy in that environment to stay connected with your team because you're really distributed? We are really distributed, yeah. And obviously, this COVID current COVID situation hasn't um, it's made things it it's made things different, but in a way, it's made things just slightly more of the same. Um, okay. We're a distributed team anyway, so we're used to working in that environment. Um, yeah. Yes, it means that I can't now just throw a piece of paper at the person who sits just there <laughs> and uh, ask them to look at something for me or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's just like them, them working with my teams in, in India or in California. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think this, this situation has kind of shown that we can, we can work apart, you know, we can be together and work apart and whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> one of those nice soundbite phrases is. Um, yeah. But um but yeah, I think I think it's really shown how people can work um, in different ways, and obviously it has. I think for a lot of people, myself included, it has blurred the lines between what's home and what is work. Yeah. Obviously, I, I have I have my nice little space here in my home, but just out there is is the kitchen and the door and the family and everything else. So, you know, it it does make it hard to to switch off between one thing and the other thing. But um, I think it's I think it's good, and I think it's the way things will continue. To, Really? Okay. Mm. Now, do you, is this your longest stretch of working from home or do you typically do like some amount of work from home? Anyway? This is, this is for sure my longest stretch of working from home. We generally, um, we probably, I would probably work from home one, one or two days a week. Okay. Off and on. Yeah. More, more time in the office than anything else. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, we're a rel reasonably small office in, in Ireland anyway. Um, but, um, but yeah, this is this is for sure my longest stretch of working from home, um, and I, it was nice at the start. Okay. And now I quite like to see my team again, please. Really? Okay. <laughs> it's kind of wearing on you. It's not wearing on me at all, but it's it, you know it's it'd be great to get together with with those people that you know that you you see every day or did see every day, um, and you know I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to the day when we do eventually all get back together again. Um, when that will be, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> do you think that'll be, because I've been wondering about that now. Do you think that'll be a, like a switch, kind of like how the quarantine start was? Or will that be a slow kind of oh, drizzle back slow. to normal? Really? Slow, slow, slow. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. I just, I, there's no, no evidence or anything to, to back that up. But I, yeah. feel it, I feel it will be slowly, steadily 
bit by bit we'll have a few more people in you know perhaps switch different weeks different people in different weeks or something oh, okay. like that and yeah. then eventually as things kind of progress and you know all the data shows that things are okay again or things will be okay again then you know we'll get back to some sort of normal yeah but i think it, i think it will be a while so you mentioned a little bit about arlo how it it's kind of different i think than what i expected right just from that culture of openness mm. and ability to transition would you say are there other things that would differentiate arlo from other home security systems sure so yeah um i suppose the, the biggest thing with Arlo is, is the company is completely focused on privacy. Um, okay. You know, we started out as a security company. First oh, I didn't know that. Really? Sort of, as part of Netgear, it was the it was the security kind of business line, and then it became the security company. You know, when we spun off. Okay. So cam cameras weren't like day one the first focus. Well, no, cameras were the cameras were always the focus, but it was a focus okay. as a security device. Gotcha, gotcha. As opposed to, you know, something else. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't monetize personal data. Um, we're completely transparent about what data we share with with different partners. Um, we don't have access to, or, you know, um, your videos are yours. Um, yeah. We don't, um, the reasons when we have to share them, but, you know, they're very clearly stated um we have a privacy pledge on our website which i don't yeah. think a lot of companies in our space do um and security is just part of our culture within the organization within teams every release that we do or every product that goes out you know goes through a security review um all of our internal processes are, are security reviewed it's just we a real focus on security internally yeah okay yeah that that's huge that's part of the culture mm, for sure Okay. Um, what about Arlo made you want to work there? What first sparked your interest in joining the company? I suppose, uh, like I've kind of said, the, the product is interesting to me. Yeah. As, you know, as a bit of a computer geek, as a bit of a, you know, technology nerd, then, you know, the, the whole, it's an IoT space kind of a, a product, not, yeah. not the complete, just put your sensors on everything sort of thing, but it's, there's loads of that metadata about, what the cameras are doing obviously like i said i don't see any videos no one in our team can see any videos yeah no one um you know we just get lots of that information about things like the battery life of the cameras the signal strength what products yeah. a customer owns that kind of thing and as well as the the actual customer experience so your onboarding experience as you go through the app and how you know you get to that end point of having the camera online trial experience subscriptions all that kind of stuff um, falls into our team and we look at the ways customers interact with us you know without without knowing exactly what you're doing we're not watching you or anything like that but sure you can see all that that data about when a customer has onboarded a camera and all that kind of stuff so it's it's a really exciting product um, that, that's an yeah. interesting thing i wanted to bring up because I hadn't thought about it before, but your customers, um, to be successful, have to have some level of technical ability. They have to be able to follow your steps to set it up. And as easy as you make it, there's always that chance that someone couldn't figure it out and they return it the next day. Absolutely. Like, is that something you guys think about a lot? Absolutely. Yeah. 
absolutely. Um, in some of the newer products, we've we've changed the onboarding experience in the app, so it literally walks you through step by step what to do. Um, it was always like that from the first the first cameras, you know, kind of take it out of the box, take the stickers off, plug the plug the battery in, um, put it next to the base station, press this button, whatever. Yeah. Um, and in the newer products where we've done slightly more. I suppose like more complex things like the doorbell um, and the floodlight, the, you know, the doorbell requires a little bit of wiring to your internal chime. If, yeah. you, if, if you are linking it to your, the thing that goes ding dong in your door, in your hallway. Um, and the floodlight requires, a, it's quite a heavy thing. So it requires a, a good screw mount onto the wall. So we've literally just walked through step by step in the, in the app on how to do that. I think that that unboxing and onboarding experience is critical. And as you say, yeah, um, if it's if it's too hard, a, a customer will just go right ahead and say, "This is it's too much like hard work for me. Right. I'm going to put it back in the box and yeah, take it back." That I think that difference was made clear to me when we got the the baby camera because mm. to set up the original the wireless ones, there is you've got to read instructions, right? So you pull it out, you set it next to the base station, make sure that's set up and Maybe if that doesn't have the right connection, it's not work. So that was it was fine. Like we got it set up, but compared to the the rabbit, right? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I plugged it in, and then the app's like, "Hey, put this QR code in front, in front of, the, of the screen." Yeah, yeah. It was the coolest thing. And as soon as you did, bang, it was connected. Nothing yeah. else. Yeah. 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 So yeah. That, that's cool. How you guys would think about usability, especially as, as you try to expand to maybe people who wouldn't traditionally think of themselves as I don't know te tech enthusiasts, right? For sure. Yep. For sure. Yeah, we want to get more people who are just, you know, I suppose, have a you have a little bit of DIY, I suppose, sure. kind of, um, knowledge or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, it's the simplest unboxing and an onboarding experience that we can possibly give the customer. I, I think another advantage of Arlo that I, I really appreciated was your connectivity to other ecosystems. So it's not just the Arlo ecosystem. Um, I had a setup with if this, then that. The, yep. That true mm -hmm. with my Hue Philip lights, my light bulbs. And yeah. I had this rule that if it detected any motion, and this is before I could get a Nectar floodlight or a Arlo floodlight, I would get one of those now. <laughs> but if it detected motion within like like 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. time frame, then it would turn on the uh, kitchen lights, like just yeah. turn them on 100%. And that was really cool. And it had a couple of false alarms, like birds and stuff would get in there. But, um, it was just fun. I feel like I could toy with that stuff endlessly. Have you heard of other like cool use cases where someone would glue together pieces of the ecosystem to build something interesting? Yeah, we. I mean, we we see use cases from customers all the time of doing interesting things like that, and we we link with things like IFTTT, and um, some of the products have HomeKit into Apple HomeKit integrations. Some of oh, them yeah. have um, uh, Samsung Smart Things, and there's a there's a few others that slip my mind right now, um, but we definitely see interesting use cases and um lots of customers using those integrations as a as an add-on like you say to do things like turn on lights in the kitchen or um different things like that when when cameras are triggered so yeah we definitely see lots of interesting integrations and i'm sure there'll be more in the future when if people think with think of more useful and as the the whole smart home world kind of expands right yeah we've cameras yeah. and we've lights and we've um plug switches that turn on and off when you shout at alexa yeah <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of thing so yeah, yeah. We, we can do all those kind of things alexa that's another 
another one that I didn't mention. So, yeah, you can hook up um, the cameras to Alexa, and so when someone when a motion is detected, you can get Alexa to shout. Oh, that we I didn't. Mm. Th- so we have Google Home. Okay. Just, yeah, I think I think we link with Google Home as well. We do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. That would be super cool to have because we got a bunch of the dots. Or oh, no, yeah. that's an Echo. That's an Echo dot, and then we have Google uh, Home Mini. Minis. Right? The, this one. Yeah. Mini. Yeah, because I feel like for a little while, like Spotify gave us one, like our home insurance company gave us one. Like <laughs> our, our like actual security system, uh, Vivint, who we have, they gave us a couple. So we have more than we need, and it would be cool to have one like in the garage because I have my Arlo Wireless right now out back on mm-hmm. the garage by the, the trash cans and stuff. And really, I just like make sure no one's using my trash cans. That's the main thing for that one. <laughs> but it'd be nice like if, if you detect someone like – especially if you get more AI and that you mentioned that that was something you guys doing. But if you get someone trying to use my trash can, who isn't me and just have Google yell at them, I would like <laughs> get out of here. Yeah. That's probably going a little too far right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have the whole place. Like, so we're, we're in a townhouse right now, but we're looking to buy, right. Mm. We, we're in Oklahoma city. Um, and we decided this is a really cool place. And I thought when I finally get that, like little country space, a little away from people, Oh yeah, I'm decking because the wireless ones, the waterproof. I can put them on just like a, a, a random wooden post as That's long it. as the, the the network reaches it, and the batteries last for a long time. You can even get aftermarket batteries that last like a super long time, months. Um, yeah, I will have the whole place wired out, and if I can get those Google Home Minis to start shouting at people and critters and stuff, yeah, that would be a win. We've seen we've actually seen some great pictures from customers who've who've hidden the cameras in like birdhouses. Yeah, They're taking the front off a birdhouse, and so from from if you're walking up up the driveway or whatever, all you see is a you know birdhouse in a tree. You think, oh, that's that's cute. They're getting some nice starlings or something in there. Actually, there's a there's a camera hidden pointing down at you from in there. So yeah, we've it, we've seen lots of very interesting use cases from customers. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be really. And I can attest to the durability because in Oklahoma City we get tornadoes, right? We get yeah, yeah. horrible wind, and I've because it's a magnet up there and it's sturdy. But I've always thought like if the right wind comes by, this is just gonna it's gonna be gone forever. <laughs> And it's withstood like 80 mile an hour. Like I'm not making a a proclamation of what it'll do or not, but in my experience, weather said it was 80 miles an hour. I could feel it. And the cameras are totally fine. That's good to hear. That's good. Well, Hey, so tell me about any technologies you might be particularly passionate about lately being in the tech space. Is there anything that's like captured your imagination recently? Yeah. So, um, like I said, we we were looking at, um, with our own environments of cloud technologies, obviously there's advantages and disadvantages of doing that. And, the cloud is just someone else's computer, blah, 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 blah. But, sure. um, you know, you have the the advantage of of being hosted and managed by somebody else. So you take that that pain of, of software upgrades and system downtime and that kind of thing away because you can kind of give that part to people who can do it, who really know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but then you have the, the trade-off, I suppose, is the security. Yeah. Um, so you have to carefully consider the security aspects you're you're into two-factor authentication and password control and you know if you're onto integrations and it's secret keys and key management software and services and that kind of thing so you know i'm i love all that stuff and i'm interested in, in those kind of things and but we just you know we're evaluating loads of different products at the moment just to see what the right the right fit is for us sure um, you know, personally, I'm interested in things, in things like Snowflake and um, Cloudera, CDP, um, technologies like Databricks that, that bolt on to some of these things. And um, 
I'm starting to look into some of these kind of graph databases and um, Neo4j and um, Amazon, uh, I forget what it's called. That's the one, thank you. And it was a planet. I was going to say Jupiter. <laughs> I, knew was, I knew that was wrong. Yeah. Yep. No, <laughs> Jupiter was graph. Python, which is, I'm graph. learning learning Python at the moment as well. <laughs> oh, are you really? How's yeah. that going? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh -oh. ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, I mean, it's build is being super easy to learn. Right? Yeah, That's it, is. Kind of it the... is actually. I'm, I'm finding oh, it pretty yeah. straightforward. Um, I've had to, I've had to learn it because we, we had some, some Python scripts running internally, which are written by somebody else uh, yeah. who, who subsequently left the company and now I have to maintain them. So oh, yeah. I crash course in, in Python. Uh, <laughs> so that's why I kind of thought, right, I, ne I should need to learn this from, from scratch. And I haven't learned a programming language in 20 years. So oh, okay. <laughs> it's back to, back to the drawing board again for me, but it's, it's good stuff to do. The, the Python stuff when I was learning and even still now, the like really super built in stuff, like the super shortcuts or the mm -hmm. different syntax to like the Pythonic way, I can get lost really quickly. Like if you have like nested for this in that, like over and over and over. Um, so that was hard for me to learn. I'd come from a Java background where I want my brackets, right? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> where'd my brackets go? <laughs> uh, but now I find that most of my work is in Python. Cool. Or C SQL. That's probably my number one. Yeah, SQL. I, I do. I know a bit of SQL. There are other people in my team who are better than me at SQL, but I, I can kind of hold my own in SQL to a certain extent. That's good. And, and the cool thing with SQL, more than I think a lot of languages, is it's not just knowing SQL. If you know SQL, you've also got an understanding of like how data is stored and like how to think about sets and tables. Yeah. And, like Just these things are really complex. And I think, yeah. honestly, the best way to teach those concepts is to teach someone SQL. Absolutely. Absolutely. And once you know a SQL, and yes, there are variants, and you know each, yeah. each version has its own slightly different language, but the basics you pretty much got. And yeah, then it, you they're Google, small. Google for the differences. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I was telling. I've had a couple semi-technical people or people trying to make transitions into more technical roles. Maybe the last couple months come up and you know they know I work in this space. And they're saying, look, I, what do I learn first? Mm. Well, take a little time and learn SQL because I know you want to work in analytics. You want to do dashboarding, that kind of stuff. Do that. And then they'd be like, okay, what, what, which SQL? And that alone is a hard blocker. So I yeah. just like, I, I honestly, I told a lot of people do Snowflake just because you can sign up for free and you don't have to like run a local instance or anything, but there's lots of good opportunities to learn that. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And it's, and um, we're talking about, you know, other technologies. It's good to see other companies in the space kind of, giving back to a certain extent. Sure. We have the likes of Airbnb and um, Facebook and others, um, Spotify, I think, uh, when they're, ex they're sharing their big data experiences or open sourcing some of their methodologies and technologies, it's great to see those companies kind of you saying what they do, obviously not, yeah. giving, not giving away all the secret sauce, but you know, <laughs> giving the general background as, as to some of the stuff that they use. And it's just, it, I just find that really good to see some of these, you know, big behemoths of, of the, the big data world. Yeah, I mean, that's important. And people, I think sometimes they don't, they don't realize where some of these core foundational technologies that they come from real companies, mm -hmm. right? They're just out of the goodness, maybe not of their hearts, but just to contribute <laughs> to the community. Yeah. Um, like Airbnb, I, I know they did um, Superset, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a, a yep. dashboard thing. If you've used Druid, which can be really fast. Yep. Facebook React is the one I think of. React, Facebook. It, yeah. They've had a ton. Um, and, and I don't know. Is there one of these that, like, you have in mind as being particularly important to you? 
Um, not especially. Superset, I'm I'm interested in. I've I've yeah. um, kind of played with it a little bit, not in any particular depth, um, but kind of just sort of kind of got it installed and got the first kind of hello world kind of stuff stuff up up and running yeah. um, and it looks like a really cool technology if you can invest the time and the effort into understanding it and and yeah. getting the most out of it yeah. um but to have something like that that's that's basically open source is yeah is huge that uh superset especially had a tight integration i think it has integration with a couple other technologies now but druid on the old hadoop days right mm-hmm. when i was working more on that um as like a massive scale uh, aggregator of data. And by pre-aggregating, like you would say up front, yeah. I only want to see it this way or that way. You can't do arbitrary group buys or averages. Yeah. Um, it was able at a large, large company I was working for, to, it was like 30 years of IoT data, like massive amounts across global scale too. Mm. So trillions and trillions of data points. And it would return 30 random points across the whole thing in like under a second. It was just, I'd never seen performance like that in anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what, so, Paul, tell me, man, how's that drink? Uh, it's going well. It's going very well. I've, yeah? Yeah, enjoying my uh, enjoying my chat and enjoying my drink. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so bourbon, is that the I know there's one of these whiskey-style drinks that it can only be called bourbon if it's from, like, Kentucky. Is that right? I think it is, yeah. Or like a specific county in, not even just Kentucky. Specific but. place, yeah. It's like Jack Daniels is Tennessee whiskey. Yeah, it's, it's not bourbon because it's not oh. made in Kentucky or something along those those lines. Okay. And then I know there's differences between um, rye and mash and all this kind of stuff that I don't know or understand anything about. I know which one I like. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think it, it. I think it is one of those things that has to use. Is it water from Kentucky or is it actually made in Kentucky or something along those lines? So, yeah. I've always yeah. wondered who comes up with these rules. Is there a governing body of like bourbon? Uh, uh, like I presume there is. It's like the, the champagne region in France, right? You can only yeah. really call sparkling wine champagne if it's made in this particular however many square mile region in France. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of the same thing. And I'm sure it's, it's one of those very protected kind of <laughs> – bubbles because they can say this is this is bourbon this is the only thing you can call bourbon because it was made here yeah man that that i'm probably upsetting some passionate you know (laughs) kind of sewers who don't take the the differentiation so cavalierly you know Mm, Uh, for sure (laughs) but my gin my no name gin which i i have no idea where it comes from i know it has something to do with juniper uh, yeah berry right juniper berries i believe yeah and uh i think uh that's just something I got right on a Jeopardy question once, and I remembered it forever. <laughs> like gin, something, something, what? And I'm like, oh, that's juniper. It's easy. Fantastic. Um, but that's yeah, going I'm... fantastically well. I finished it actually. Nice. Uh, went a little faster. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge gin drinker. I will I will drink it an hour again. But I've I've a few few uh, colleagues who are very much into their gin, and you know, there's there's a few uh, a few bars in in Cork who have a, a big gin like a gin menu a gin selection like okay. 20 or 25 different ones lined up behind the bar you're like it depends i suppose what time of night it is <laughs> going, okay, i'll have that one yeah, um, we'll or whether there's a, a specific selection made but yeah no people like I, and maybe it's because i mix it with stuff or i just don't have a trained palate i don't i don't taste a huge difference even in like cheap ones really yeah. i don't um there is one gin, and I've had it on this episode or on the show once before, that is local, um, not to OKC, but to 
Wichita, just north of us. Okay. And it does have a special flavor. It's got like some lemongrass in it okay. and it's like a small batch. It just isn't as much of a, I don't know if it's a lower proof or what, but um, it's a gorgeous flavor. I'll mix that with a little honey in the summer. And nice. honestly, yeah, I think I'll move to that uh, for the next episode. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. So let's, let's focus a little bit away from Arlo specifically yeah. and talk maybe more about just your career in general. Sure. Yeah. Um, first, and we like to ask this of our technical guests, how do you stay up to date with the latest developments in your industry? Because it feels like it's a nonstop. Nonstop. Torrent, yeah, right? Absolutely. What, what are your tricks? There's so, there's so much conflicting opinion and this company does it this way or this, this crew does it this way or this particular one consultant does it this way and yeah. that is the way. And then someone else comes along and says, no, no, you have to do it like this or whatever. So it is it is really hard. I do I do read a lot. I keep up with a few different kind of tech blogs and sure. um, different pieces of writing. But then, again, you, you kind of end up going down the road of one particular writer that you like the style of or one particular company who's, who resonates for some reason with you. Sure. Um, it's very hard. So you, you kind of have to you have to find a, a company that that you work well with or um or get some advice from you know and then um, people like yourselves at hashmap and there's there's others out there who who will just give you the can give that that advice without i mean yeah i don't have time to know all the all the different ins and outs and intricacies of what and um, what works well with what and that's probably the biggest thing is yeah. the linkages between the two it you know some people would say that that Splunk is the only tool for, um, you know, ingesting log data, yeah. for example. And but then someone else would come along and say, um, "Oh, you know, you can do this with this open source tool." NiFi is another example, right? Um, yeah. You can do a lot of similar things. Where, where do you go? Who's who's got the right answer? So it's very hard, very hard to do that kind of stuff. For, I suppose as well. Um, I kind of. I try to go to some of the conferences um, okay. where I can. Uh, obviously, yeah. there's the additional expense of a transatlantic flight for most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting actually, with with the COVID situation to change things. Exciting to see some of the conferences gone remote, um, sure. which gives you that opportunity to you know attend a conference as well as perhaps do a little bit of work, particularly for me because it's a different time zone again. Um, yeah as well as you know not having to travel as much and that sort of thing so yeah i do try to go to some of the some of the conferences but again you can you can go down a particular vendor or a particular um technologies route and you could you could attend conferences all day every day for the year if you tried hard enough i'm sure so it's difficult but i think i think reading a lot and seeing what 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 bounces with you and what sort of you think would work for your own situation or your own company or your own personal opinions, I suppose, um, just depends. Yeah, that's tricky, man. And I feel like I thought, especially with um, people who've been really successful in their career, they must they must just know the trick, right? And across the board, the people mm-hmm. we've talked to, every one of them, are like, uh, I read a lot, I, I talk to people. It's yeah. always hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for people talking to is who's who's actually is, are they is it all like some big family tree and they all go back to one guy <laughs> just one person so that's what i think about a lot too because being in a position at, at a company 
we're, we're, we're looked at to be the experts in some of this technology mm. and we've got to have an opinion. You got to publish the opinion. Um, cause you, you've worked across multiple deployments. You see what worked well and what didn't. Yeah. yeah. And I struggle with like how much leeway, like, do I go opinionated? Cause a lot of it really is just my opinion based on what I like. And like, I'm comfortable with Git. That's another, that's a big, like split for a lot of recommendations I have is if you're cool with Git, then that opens up a whole nother world of, um, infrastructure as code and continuous deployment and options there. But if you're not, if your client or if your like staff is not, that's not who you are as a company, certain things aren't going to work. Like maybe Jenkins isn't for you, right? Circle CI isn't your bag. We got to look at some other thing. And, and the options aren't like either totally retrain your company, like restaff everyone yeah. or, or you're going to go down. It's usually like, well, can we get 80% of the way there with 20% of the effort? And yeah, usually you can, honestly. So, <laughs> Drawing that line while still being able to produce content that's meaningful for people, right? That's something I struggle with a lot because you're you're right. There are a lot. There's always an edge case. There's always sometimes it's not even an edge case. It's like a legitimate large chunk of the population who would use Snowflake, for example, because I write a lot about Snowflake. They're not going to get a lot of value out of going row by row, table by table, and setting up every one of those roles and have access. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just want database level access. That's fine. Yep. But other companies, like that's like highly regulated industries, that's not going to fly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, so outside of learning stuff, do you have other secret weapons that have helped you be successful in your career? <laughs> secret weapons. Um, <laughs> I su- yeah, I suppose a lot of it comes from having a certain amount of patience. <laughs> oh, okay, that's in, interesting. In a lot of this stuff, um, not so much waiting and seeing, but but kind of maybe not jumping in and and saying straight away this is the right thing or this is the wrong thing or um or making a snap decision unless it's really really called for and i do do that every now and again um (laughs) and also i think i think kind of as i as i said a bit earlier having the the business experience and the the accounting and the auditing experience that i've had early on in my career um, it kind of allows you to solve some of the real world issues and, and see perhaps the bigger picture or see what the end user is expecting to see, right? Do you find that that experience makes you maybe a little more empathetic to yeah. the end business user who maybe doesn't have a ton of technical experience? For sure. For sure. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it com- it comes from... I suppose stepping back and seeing it, putting myself back in the back in the days of of being a financial accountant or whatever, and looking at looking at what the problem is. And when you're doing a technical, we're doing a technical deployment of something, or sure. you know, yeah, you you go to the business to get their sign off on something, or you you get them to test something or whatever, and they kind of come back and say it doesn't work or something isn't the way we expected it to be, and the technical side of you says, well, that's the way this particular thing works. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And But then you kind of step step aside and, and look at it from the business person and say, well, why are we expecting them to go through this pain? Yeah. Because that's the way this particular piece of software or technology or whatever it is, because that's the way that works. How, how can we get around that? How can we make that person's life easier? Yeah. Even if it's making our lives more difficult for <laughs> for a while, or you yeah. know, it requires some more consulting dollars or some more development dollars or whatever. Um, but, but would it make more sense to do that? Yeah. Or is it to say, well, 
sorry, that's the way it is. But look, here is a way you can do it. Or this is this is how we would recommend you step through this. And this is this is what you used to do. This is what you do now. And sort of I've I've done it a few times over my over my career where we've rolled out new new internal software or a new internal products. Mm-hmm. And um, I've kind of written a, a, a user guide because um, okay. we've we've issued technical the technical manuals available we've told people where the help section is or whatever it is um, yeah. but i've literally just sat down for a couple hours and gone through and taken screenshots and written in a nice little pdf and then um i think for a few of them we ended up printing them out as booklets and putting them on people's desks really okay so that's just the easiest way to do it is to give them a guide they can refer to and this yeah. is this is the screenshot this is what it will probably look like and this is where you're going to press and off you go and yeah maybe they used it twice <laughs> that's fine but it's yeah. it's it's also there's a certain amount of comfort having that in your desk drawer knowing that if something goes wrong i can just pull this oh that's important. piece of piece of paper out and say right let me go back to first principles go back to first steps and say this is what this is what should have happened and that's a challenge i think especially in analytics mm. more so than some other technical domains that you got to keep that business user in mind because yeah. I've, I've done this. I'm sure you've seen this where you stay so busy with the tech, with the challenges, like the actual functionality of getting it done. Yep. And, and if any user doesn't look at it and make a different decision or like it didn't matter. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and also I think materiality as well. It's an auditing phrase, but it's oh, okay. something that comes, that comes through in a few different cases where you know, your business user might do it a particular way and you make some new piece of technology or new an- new analytics or new dashboard or whatever yeah. that um, comes up with the same answer, but it's 20 out or it's, you know, um, there's, a, there's a small difference. Is that difference actually material? Is the yeah. fact that this new dashboard you've created, which instead of a user spending half a day a week creating some you know big excel template and you've now done this thing oh, yeah. where they can hit refresh and it's got the new data in it and it's fresh yeah. up to an hour ago or whatever but it's now two percent different to what they had does that matter yeah maybe it does in some yeah. industries i'm sure it does in some parts of our business it does but yeah. you have to kind of step back and say and you work with that person as well, the you know the business user, and say, does it matter that this is actually a percent difference different to the number that you had? If you were to go back and re put the put the new numbers, for want of a better word, into your model, does it actually make a difference? And most of the time, they'll say, no, it doesn't actually. <laughs> but the, the fact that you you've saved me an entire Monday afternoon uh, every week is great. Thank you very much. Yeah. So this is okay. Yeah. I just write that and taking that that whole that whole thing to the business user and being able to say it you know it might not be exactly the same but can yeah. you live with it? I That's I see that oh I've seen that in some cases particularly around like what real time means. Yes. Where upfront the current system does like one twentieth of what a new system will, but it refreshed constantly, and the new system. On paper, before we even get to discussing with it, like it has to be real time. I was like, well, what about every five minutes? And at first, like, no, it needs to be real time. The current one's real time. And then eventually, they're like, actually, you know what? Five minutes would be cool, especially if you could like automate all this other work for me. Yeah. So, like, 
really being able to put yourself in the user's shoes and also bring them along for the ride, right? Where things could be different, but how do we focus on the real problems here and not get hung up on, is it literally real time? Is it exactly the same numbers you had before, yeah. right? Yeah, That's important. Absolutely. Yeah, and as we, as we move into more real-time applications and streaming applications and things like that, yeah, does it does it really, really, really have to be as it was two seconds ago sort of thing? Yeah. Um, would it matter if it was the top of the hour? Or, or even just splits, right? Where, uh, and I see this in Snowflake a lot. Snowflake Analytics uh, Warehouse is fantastic at tons of stuff, but, and they're open about this, like no one will tell you otherwise. It's not a real-time database. Hmm. It's not meant for like sub-second alerting, right? Never yeah. going to do that. Um, and if your use case has one need for that, but 10 other use cases for the data to do something else, I've seen people still try to couple all of it through a real-time pipe. It's just so much more work. Yeah. So if you could split it out and have it go different places, like, okay, let's do our normal reporting every hour or whatever batch stuff to Snowflake, but that one like race condition, that one like alert condition, let's send that to a dedicated space and let it focus just on that. You can get a lot of wins that way. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And combining those. And again, it's it's combining those different technologies. As you said, yeah. just send the data for the last hour to the real time dashboard that's displayed above the CEO's desk or whatever, and then have the everything else up to the, the top of the previous hour go to yeah. another database where it can be analyzed and played with. And it doesn't we don't necessarily need to look at what happened in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, no, exactly. It's fit for purpose stuff. Mm, for sure. Do what makes sense. Yeah. So tell me more about your career. I think we all think of, well, looking back at your career, I think we probably remember the highs and the lows. Yeah. A lot. Those are the ones that stand out. But I think it's really those, what we call mistakes or maybe failures. I don't like that word, but just the, the missteps that mm -hmm. we maybe learn the most from. Can you think of any like missteps that are particularly strong in shaping the career you've had? In my own career, I suppose, I suppose if I was to look back now, I'd probably say that I was, I probably stayed in finance longer than I perhaps should have done. Really? Okay. Um, I suppose towards the end of the end of my financial my financial career, as, as such, um, you know, we did lots of great things, obviously, but I didn't, um, I didn't develop myself particularly. Um, in in the working environment i i did my own bits of of learning and training kind of outside the company um which eventually spurred me on to do some of the stuff i do now um, yeah. but within within the finance kind of space i i suppose i i i had decided i was more interested on the it side of things yeah so perhaps i should have been pushier <laughs> but it's not and it's something i'm not very good at i have to happily admit really um, okay uh, and and as well as as well as that, I suppose thinking a bit wider on on the pushier side of things, I suppose I could probably personally be a bit pushier with some of the vendors I work with. Oh uh, no, okay. <laughs> um, you know, to get a better deal or or whatever. Sure. I I suppose I I would kind of be the person who even you know, take it take it like a, a a bartering in a in a store kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I would be the guy who says, right, the the sticker price is nine ninety nine. Thank you very much. I'll give you my nine ninety nine. <laughs> it's my wife who would go away and and oh, say, well, you'll do that for eight ninety nine, oh. or you or you'll throw in uh, something with it. Man, my wife's the same way because I I hate wheeling and dealing like yeah, that. I get exactly. so awkward. Just 
whatever. I just spend money to be done with this. Yeah. Um, it, so she does the selling on Craigslist of oh, anything yeah. like if we're moving or something. And she sold a bed for a guest bedroom that we converted into my daughter's room. So we didn't need the actual queen size bed anymore. She sold it on Craigslist and they got here. And of course everyone, I don't know. A lot of people on Craigslist there with cash, they want to start haggling at yeah. the door and they're like, Hey, can I get it for $20 cheaper? And I started going like, yeah. And my wife's like, no, 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 right here. I'm doing the sale. You got to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. And she didn't give him a discount either. We got full price on that. Nice. <laughs> okay. That's good advice. Yeah. I think uh, that, I mean, that's just personally, that's just me, I suppose. Different yeah. people work in different ways. And the, I suppose the other thing, and I've, I've kind of, I suppose I've learned it more over the last while is it's not, ever, it's not always the bigger or the, the bigger companies or the bigger names who will be able to do some of the better things for you. It's to look at some of the small guys as well. We've had some okay. great success with um, with different companies who are just starting out, who are doing new stuff or have you know spun off or left another company and started their own company doing something similar. And yeah. we've had some great successes with different companies along those lines down the years. Um, so it's always worth looking at those those smaller upstarts. Um, and you, yeah, it's, you, it's a calculated risk, right? Yes, some of them may not be around in three years' time, sort of thing, yeah. or be swallowed up by somebody else. Um, but some of them go on to grow, and you know, we've been very lucky with with a lot of the ones we've worked with. Um, so it's it's always worth looking outside the established names or the or the ones that have the big companies on their on their. We've worked with these companies list. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's worth looking at the smaller ones. So how do you sort through the noise on that? Because there's probably a lot. Once once you start getting smaller, yeah. it gets broader. It does. Are, are people reaching out directly to you? Do you just leverage your network, or are you just really good at Google? What do you do? Yeah, I suppose it's it's a bit of network. It's a bit of knowing okay. knowing people who know people or people who've who've done something along those lines or can introduce you to someone. Uh, we do get a lot. Of, I I do get a lot of cold emails and you know companies selling this this that and the other and that that's not the way for me that's not the way to approach me yeah. i don't take any notice of them i have to be perfectly honest <laughs> sure. um, i tend to it tend to be more um who you know things that other people have other things that other people have done and yeah. uh, people in my network who've who've worked with other companies and say you know these guys are really great uh go talk to them see if what they do fits for you and sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't um but yeah i tend to tend to use use the network of, of people rather than kind of cold drops or a, a bit of Google searching, of course, and a bit of sure. um, particularly those companies who will give you a free trial or a good demo or a good explanation of what exactly what it is they've done. Um, and particularly, I suppose, particularly where there's a, they have a use case that fits with your use case. Sometimes yeah. it's just luck. Sometimes it, it's, you know, cultivated kind of uh knowledge of what it is they're they're trying to get to um yeah but yeah that's um I suppose that's that's the kind of way i i seek out some of these some of these other companies oh i like that and, and i think it's shifting a little more as we we move a, broadly this is not true everywhere but in a large sense we're doing more cloud work more SaaS applications mm -hmm. and it, it becomes a lot easier than you know back in the day i got to go install druid to see if i like it and now it's like 
let me do the two week trial of five tran of stitch. Right. And it's like, Oh wow, this is awesome. Yeah. And I didn't have to spend any money. I didn't have to set up infrastructure. It was really easy. Yep. Yep. For sure. Awesome. So if you were in it, if you weren't in analytics, what do you think you'd be doing right now? <laughs> that's, that's an easy one. Really? Um, yeah. I, I'd be in radio. Radio. I, I was a I was a college DJ when I was at, at um, the University of Warwick. I love music. I love all of the technology around music. Um, when I was when I was back there, and that was you know that was the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, you know things were changing. Things were going digital at that stage. Um, yeah. you, that was the whole time of MP3s and Napster and the, the Napster that isn't Napster anymore. The, the old Napster, <laughs> the naughty one. Um, <laughs> And, you know, digital editing was all coming in, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I loved all of that when I – and the industry has changed a lot since then. It's all automated and it's all, um, you know, computer screens and, and so on. But when I was when I was DJing and when I was uh, uh, on the radio, um, it was all CDs and mini discs and they're uh, showing my age now. Um, but, no, that's what I would love to do. And I still – a few of my friends still do it and, you know, do a bit of um, in their own time and internet internet radio and that kind of thing. And I'd love to be able to do stuff like that again. What what kind of music do you like? I'm I'm very eclectic actually. Um, oh, okay. I suppose mostly kind of pop music, the okay. kind of general, um, easygoing kind of stuff. Nothing nothing too nothing too wild. And I in any direction. Um, yeah. I like a bit of hip hop. I like a bit of rock. Um, uh, a decent bit of punk is good, um, nice. and then I've a huge selection of chill out stuff. So I'm kind of all over the place. Now, do you think because we're in a in a world now which is different than the one you described, where any song, almost almost any song I want, I, I could get instantly at the touch of a button. Yeah. Do you, Do you think that changes the the place of curation, right, or of um, actually sitting down and listening to an album you don't know start to finish in order? I think I think it actually makes a bigger place for curation. Yeah. Um, there is a yes. If you know that you love an album or you know that you love a particular artist and you're going to listen to every piece of work that they've ever made, then yeah, you and I don't get me wrong. I think Spotify is amazing. I love the fact that I can think of a song and bang it in, and oh, there it is, and you're immediately brought back to a place where you you've forgotten about for years or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think that is so – there's so much there that you almost don't know where to go. And that's where curation comes in. That's where the radio comes in um, to be able to do that for you or to, you know, to to guide you, I suppose, in, in the particular piece of music or a particular type of music that you like. Um, and then the, there is the AIs, obviously, of, of Spotify and, and Spotify's curated playlists and other other products that title and so on um yeah but i think that's where the where creation absolutely comes in because when you get so much you kind of don't know where to go next yeah like to a certain just... extent i've actually i've got a a, a record player a, a turntable from really okay birthday, a, a, a large birthday a, a year or so ago and um and i've been buying vinyl which is a stupidly expensive habit to have um <laughs> uh, it, you know it's a really awkward really expensive piece of technology yeah. but i love it because i can i don't have to go and try and think about spotify or 
I can go onto Spotify and pick a piece of music and then I think, right, that's great. I'll listen to that album now. And then down the bottom it says, more like this. And like, ooh. <laughs> and I suddenly stop. And then, but now, now physically I have to get up and, and flip the record over or pick pick one of the you know selection I have on my shelf. So I think there is there is for sure a way of a, a world for curation, a world for letting some letting someone else choose to a certain extent. I, I think one of the best part with vinyl because I, I had a friend get into it and uh, he invited me over to listen to a record, which is weird. That yeah. was a weird. Thing. <laughs> I'm listening to this record I just got. Okay, and the most unexpected part of it that I enjoyed was that you could not push a next button. There's no skip yep. track. Yep. And it meant that we sat and experienced the whole thing. And for, I think a lot of records, but I had noticed up to this point, they're like, they're arranged intentionally. And it's a, the whole thing can be thought of as an experience. And I just, I think back to that time often. And when we get a little more space, I would also like to get into vinyls because you can get modern records too. Now it's not just older stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a, there's an awful lot of stuff that, you know, that's out now that you wouldn't go away and buy or spend 30 bucks on or 40 bucks or whatever it is. Um, but there, you know, there, you, you just get the feeling that there are certain albums which are going to become classics down the line or, or, you know, the things that you really like, um, that are, that are just going to be great and you're going to want to listen to again and you're going to want to pay 30 or 40 bucks to, to have this album in in your life instead of paying your tenant to spotify man i think maybe we can go full circle on this and maybe there's an opportunity for a subscription box for records you wouldn't normally get for yourself for sure i get them in, in bulk so you get it cheaper than you would in yep. you know, retail and, yep i was right. actually I subscribed to a, a vinyl subscription service until a couple of months ago um when they'd just gone completely left field so i didn't really like anything that they were choosing anymore but yeah. um but yeah th- again that's another one of those where it, you you only have a choice of three and this is you pick one of these three and that's the one that's going to come in the post on the 25th of the month man it's wild that what we're craving now in environments of unlimited choice is please remove the choice yeah please tell me what to listen to almost yeah yeah oh wow hey so Wrapping up here a little bit, uh, we're, we're in the, the final section of the podcast. Um, is there anything you wanted to give a, a little shout out to or, or grant visibility to, like a project or a product or anything like that? Well, this is where you go. Here's my SoundCloud. Um, <laughs> no, um, no, no, not not hugely. I suppose I'll I'll, I'll tow the company line, you know, Arlo.com for um, – all the great stuff about Arlo. I'm, I'm, you know, I mentioned the floodlight product, which is just out in in the US. Um, and yeah, I'm look at the, look at the some of the stuff we're doing because it, it is real cool technology. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't have any personal project I, I want to push. Okay. Well, you know, I'll keep an eye out for that floodlight because I don't want people using my trash can. <laughs> they come singing up, I'll blind them out. Right? Would you say two thousand lumens? It's two thousand lumens. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what a lumen is, but I know that sounds pretty That's a great. lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Just blast them. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, before we fully close out, you want to do a quick lightning round here? A couple quick questions? Uh, sure. Go. Sure. Um, so first, do you have a go-to home-cooked meal? Home co- I can't cook. For oh, really? Okay. Money, but my wife makes a really good chicken curry. Okay, chicken yeah. curry. And go-to takeout meal if you were purchasing. Um. I tend to I tend to also go for a, a curry. Um, oh, okay. Chinese food. We've we've a lot of good Chinese. Is not far from where we live. Um, I'm also partial to a good burrito. 
Man, uh, this section of the podcast always makes me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any recent personal projects that you've been doing? Um, I suppose, like I said, the learning Python um, is my current one. I have uh, two books sitting next to me on the desk, crying out really? for my okay. attention. So, yeah. You, uh, you're a book kind of guy for learning that stuff? I, I go between both. I've done some uh, kind of online courses, the... Um, um which is you know which are good i think they they're very good in the place that they they are um but sometimes i just prefer to i can skip over sections in a book because i'm comfortable enough with that section and just go to the bit where i want to whereas with a an online learning thing you kind of feel like you have to go through each lesson because you don't know what they've it's easy to flick back right in a book than to to rewind or go, go back to lesson three part four to figure out what it was they were talking about. So yeah, I prefer, I prefer a book for that kind of thing. I can't believe that I haven't mentioned this before in the podcast, but we talk about learning a lot because it's just part of the part of the industry. Mm-hmm. And for me, Python, um, I'll do, it, it's spiky when I use Python where I'll go a long while without it and then I'll need to use a ton of it up front. And then yeah. I go a while. Um, and to stay up to date, I use a service called Python Morsels, which is this um, kind of Python trainer. Like that's his full-time job. Okay. Where he will send you weekly or monthly challenge questions that oh, you run nice. through they come with preset like python tests that you can execute against and then really detailed um solutions and i will turn that subscription on i wanted to shout out for that so we'll put a description of that in the links along with the arlo.com uh because that's an awesome service i think it's just some guy put it together just that's cool. like so on his own. at least it triggers you to to think about it even if it's not something you're necessarily doing at that time it triggers you to think about it every every week or every month as you say yeah, I've been guilty of just reading through the solutions. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, are you a morning person or a night person? I am a night person. Night I'm person. I'm shocking in the mornings. That's no <laughs> word of a lie. Uh, no, I'm I'm very much a night person. I I find it very hard to get up in the morning. But yeah, I often get some of my best work done between eleven and one and one in the morning. Oh, late yeah, night. Late night. Late night kind of person. Wow. Yeah. Not not all the time, but. A lot of the time I find easy to focus and just easy to think about things at that time of night. Do you think that comes from working with like US-based teams? Where I suppose it does to a certain extent. Really? Um, being part of a US company, you kind of have to accept that sometimes it's going to be late night calls and um, working a little later in the evenings and so on. So, yeah, I think I think it does come from working with the US company, which is – okay great and, and also you know sometimes has its frustrations too so. yeah absolutely um do you have a favorite professional sport uh the honorary irish part of me um monster rugby would be our, okay. our local the local team who not not having such great success at the moment but you know doing okay and um i've got into uh, nhl i've uh, san jose sharks oh, really quarter um, I've seen a couple of games in the Shark Tank in San Jose. Uh, love, love it. It's f- so fast moving. It's fantastic. Hockey's um, the best. Hockey's like that, for me, that if I'm going to go watch a sport, I would never play hockey. I don't have the stamina, man. That is rough. <laughs> is yeah. But especially the minor leagues, because I'm from I'm from Indiana, and it's a little colder region, right? And there's yeah. a lot of hockey. Okay. And, um, gosh, I, I just love going there. And then you watch the Red Wing games. That was always the team people rooted for is the Detroit. Yeah. Detroit. Red Wings. Yeah. Um, and I miss that. I would love to go to a lot because it's colder. You know, you're never too hot. Yep. Um, and there's always something going on. The games aren't too long. 
it, lots of action. Lots yeah. of action. It's fast moving. There's usually a good few good few goals or you know something exciting happening every every few minutes. And yeah, it's it's great. And I love a, I love watching that. In the minor leagues, you get some fights, which maybe I shouldn't say I enjoy, but it's, <laughs> it's exciting that someone might just start punching. And I mean, they go after they it. They go at it. When they go for yeah. it, they go for it. Yeah. Not yeah, so much, not, not but, so much in the major leagues anymore. They've kind of no. cooled that down, for, I suppose, for the spectator sport part of it. But yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, just, you don't want people to get hurt. That's that's no, for sure. No. And do you have a favorite country uh, that you visited or spent time in? Um, I suppose I, I love I love Ireland where I where I live. Um, but um, I like the west coast of the US as well. Big okay. San Francisco. Um, San Jose, all that Pacific coast, uh, just love some of that regions. And whenever, whenever I, I get the opportunity to go visit the the headquarters, um, yeah. I generally probably spend a, a day or so, kind of driving up, up and down the coast. And yeah, have it. you ever gotten to see those redwood trees up there? I have. Yes, Moor, really, Moor Forest and the redwood trees are, oh, yeah, as tall as tall as houses. It's fantastic. Yeah. That is where I want to get at. I've been to San Francisco a couple times. Never got a chance to go take a drive or go even just north of the bridge. Right? Yeah, it's only it's about something. half an hour, an hour north of the bridge. There's some amazing state parks up there. Yeah. Next trip, I'm going to jump on Bart. I think Bart goes up there, and uh, I'm going to give that a try. No, I anyway, rented, I rented a Mustang. So. <laughs> oh, rent a Mustang. Okay, that's the that's the real way to yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just spice driving. I'll run. I'll run a Tesla. Let it drive me. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, before we conclude, is there uh, any sort of way people can get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I tend to be again one of those early adopters of a lot of this stuff. So, I, I almost for almost every service, I have my name as as my contact. I, I still have my Hotmail account from nineteen ninety six. Wow. Come okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm Paul Hardman, or one word on Twitter, or Paul Hardman on LinkedIn as well. Oh, perfect. That's easy. Yeah. Um, link to those in the show notes. So thank you, Paul, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. And thank you, uh, our audience, for listening to each of our shows. Please stay tuned for more uh, HashMap on Tap content. And please subscribe as well to uh, get our latest episodes. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap ONTAP page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.